we have some some work to do in a more scaled fashion employing this partner to partner strategy but that that's a focus for us this fiscal year we've got to make it happen because ultimately it's best for the customer and then it's also best for the partners in terms of rapidly addressing the customer's needs Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. I find that technology organizations and Microsoft partners often struggle understanding the complexity of its partner ecosystem and organization and how to work effectively across the segments. It's one of the reasons why I invited my next guest to the podcast. My guest for this episode of the podcast is Agua Atawanya, Microsoft's U.S. leader for Global Scale Services Partners. Agua's team looks after some of Microsoft's largest global partners. I was delighted to welcome Agua to the podcast to share with our listeners how Microsoft cares and co-sells with these partners, why partnering and partner-to-partner selling are more important now than ever, and his personal and professional journey as an immigrant from Nigeria. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed getting to know Agua Atuanya. So before we dive into this interview, I want to take a moment and just say thank you. I am so blessed to have so many incredible listeners like you come, like, share, follow, and listen to Ultimate Guide to Partnering. And I'm so grateful for your support as we bring the best in the business to share leadership principles, learnings, and help leaders like you achieve your greatest results. So stay tuned. As halfway through this interview, I'm going to share a couple of shout outs and thank you for your amazing support. Agua, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Vince. I appreciate it. I, I know we've been trying to do this for a bit and I'm, I'm very excited um, We've, we're making it happen now, and I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to be here with you. I think the timing is just right, and I am so delighted to welcome you to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You're Microsoft's U.S. leader for global scale and service partners, and I'm excited to welcome you because I believe our listeners need to understand how Microsoft cares and co-sells with these partners and partner types, why partnering is more important now than ever to you and your organization and your personal and professional journey. So welcome. Thank you, Vince. Thanks for the opportunity. As you, um, being a veteran uh, of Microsoft, um, we have a very rich history with partners. And working with partners is in our DNA as a company. We continue to obsess about finding ways to build with, co-sell, and grow profitably with, uh, with partners. It's not just about us. It's, it's also about the partners and we know we can't get to where we need to get to without the partners. So, so happy to be here with the audience and have the opportunity to talk a little bit about what my organization does. 
Well, I love the term obsess because I do believe that Microsoft obsesses about its partners probably more than any other technology organization. So delighted to welcome you. And you might know I came from that Microsoft leadership role, got to work closely with some of the partners your organization manages. But for our listeners and partners that might not know the function and scale and scope of your organization, can you take us through that for a moment? Absolutely. Uh, so, so GSS, as we fondly call it, engages a very diverse group of global partners. So these are global companies that do a chunk of their business, a big chunk of their business in the U.S. And really, it encompasses five different partner types. The scale partners, who most people would know as LSPs, and um, please never call them LSPs if you engage them, um, because they are much more than what they used to do when they were known as LSPs. <laughs> I don't think they ever liked that partner type. I don't blame them, Vince, because they've actually transformed quite a bit and have capabilities that a lot of people don't know that they have, have sort of become bona fide services providers. So that's one. The second, uh, what we call indirect providers. And kind of the same story here. They used to be known as uh, distributors, but, but again, they've evolved themselves. They have a good chunk of services as part of their portfolio, and they have these enablement engines to get their resellers to become more of MSPs. The third in my portfolio are the telco partners. This is actually one that's just surged on the scene over the past 10 months, I would say. You think about the advent of 5G, the fact that these telcos have actually been in a lot of the companies that we've been trying to get into or are in across all the segments we service, meaning SMB, SMC, and enterprise. Now they're trying to add more value to their pipes. And each of these telcos are looking for a multi-edge computing you know, strategy with a hyperscaler. Uh, so I have an organization that engages nine of the largest telcos in the U.S. The fourth, what we call global MSPs. You know, this would be the Rackspaces and Atoses and um, HPEs of the world. And the last organization that reports into me, the fifth, are what we call domain providers or hosters. So you think about the, the likes of, um, you know, GoDaddy, Endurance. Interesting. So it's quite diverse. I think, you know, the underpinning principle across these five partner types is that we work with them again very uh, intensively to engage customers, understand the customer's needs, build solutions with them that fit those needs in a precise fashion. This is where you start talking about an industry pivot. And then, you know, we service those customers through them and repeat the process. That's what we exist for. You know, what, it, what strikes me is the, of the five, you got scale, indirect providers, telcos, global MSPs, domain providers. They each are providing a channel to market for Microsoft, right? So they're, they're unique in, in the segmentation, possibly, or the methodology or channel to market. They may overlap in terms of the type of customers, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. As, as you know, they are the, the purchaser within companies or entities, they've changed. They want what they want when they want it and precisely how they want it. And the interesting thing that we've also seen is that the solutions that used to be sort of reserved for the large enterprise customers are now being downsized into 
SMC or corporate customers as well as SMB. Security is an example. Everybody needs it. Doesn't matter if you're large or small. Collaboration, the same thing. So we work pretty closely with each of these partner types to ensure that we just don't have one monolithic transaction engine. Rather, these are very unique partner types that have very specific objectives and focus on very specific uh, segments and um, sub-segments in the marketplace for us. So Microsoft has a rich history here. I mean, there's a legacy of how the company evolved and utilizing these some of these channels that were existing in order to reach customers. And Microsoft got to that much earlier than the others. How does the work that your team does today differ from what other hyperscalers do to support these partners? It's a great question, Vince. And um, I'm glad you kind of started off with the relationship. I think we have a plus 40-year history with the partner ecosystem. First of all, let me just say with all humility that I believe that Microsoft has the most comprehensive solution, you know, universe out there going from edge to cloud. Yeah, I would agree. And we've now sort of, you know, started integrating this precise industry modality element to it. And and that means that a partner can take that end-to-end solution and then put an industry veneer on it, you know, with another partner. This is, I know we're going to talk about the P2P element later, and then provide a very specific need to the customer, right? So what we've done, and I think what differentiates us is we leveraged that 40-year relationship that we've been kindly afforded by the partners. We have uh, PDM pods, our partner development management pods, go hand-in-hand with the partners from the conception of anything to the sale and deployment with the partner. So we support that you know, by things like GTM plans and incentives. And we also work with the partners to ensure that the customer life cycle of the customer they've engaged does not die off, right? So it becomes a repeatable um, circular motion, if you will. Again, I repeat, we go hand in hand with the partner from from the conception to the end of the process. I think that's where we we really differ because you may you may have been here when we made that switch over from um, calling um, a partner development managers, partner sales executives to partner development. That just was not a name change. That development aspect of it, we're very, very serious and maniacal about. You know, we are very, very particular about ensuring that we help the partner develop and we help the partner grow. And we try as much as possible to make it profitable for them. I'm I'm not here to tell you that we're not a complex company to work with, but that's where these PDMs come in. These PDMs can help their partners navigate within Microsoft and get the best of that comprehensive solution universe and all the elements you know, that we have to support their GTM from Microsoft. So you mentioned pods. I think I know what these are, but for our listeners who don't understand the concept, what do your pods do? How, how are they organized? That's not a great question uh, because we get these misconceptions uh, sometimes. Now, I- imagine, let's just take, and all my other partners are going to kill me when they hear this, but let's, let's just choose one. Let's say um, Insight. Insight. Yes. 
a PDM who manages Insight has a support organization that encompasses a partner, marketing advisor who brings the GTM element, um, a partner technology strategist who brings the tech services element, and that individual is also um, responsible for bringing in cloud solution architects when we need them. And then we also have an ops team that the PDM engages to ensure that any snags that we have in the process are eliminated. We also have folks that design incentives that are, you know, dedicated, now not exclusively, but dedicated towards this partner. So there's a huge part behind the scenes. Partners see some of them, but there's some of them that partners don't see, but there's a huge support part behind the scenes that supports one particular partner. So you embrace the partner with partner development resources, technology resources, go-to-market resources, and then you support them on incentives and operational aspects of the partnership. That nails it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great way. It's a great approach, by the way. It's holistic. It solves for a lot of things. It eliminates a lot of confusion. And you come to the table and you all lock arms in this partnership to drive success. And it, it accelerates, you know, the time to market, if you will, for the partner in terms of engaging the customer. Uh, And again, the other important element that I mentioned earlier is (laughs) beyond deployment of the solution, you've got to ensure that the uh, customer understands um, what they've bought and how to use it and how to uh, maximize their benefits of what they've just bought, because that earns you the right and the ability to go renew, you know, with with that customer. Well, let's not forget, and I remember several years ago, we went to a lot of these organizations, the ones that were really tied very closely to Microsoft, the ones we were inferred to earlier, and said, you now need to shift your business focus. We're changing our model to the cloud, and you need to come along with us. And what you're doing is saying, we're providing the resources to help you along on the journey, right? Absolutely. I'll up every step along the way. So as you might know, we've had some other great leaders and peers of yours on this team. Uh, Carlos, Brent Combest, Lonnie Phillips, up and down the organization. I love this organization. So many great leaders. And we also discussed, like, what makes a great partnership? And this is the ultimate guide to partnering. So, you know, I have to ask you to tell our listeners what you believe makes a great partner. I think for me, and I haven't listened to all the other folks, maybe a couple of them, and I, I doubt that it'd be too different. For me, first and foremost, a partner, you know, has to know who they are and why they exist. So what's your mission as an entity and what do you want to do? And then the second thing is, you know, they have to be very differentiated. And you really have to understand the meaning of differentiation in this case. You know, it's differentiation that ensures that you stand out vis-a-vis the solutions you use to address the customer's needs. So that great partner also starts with the customer in mind. And then you have to make sure that you have a system that is repeatable because that ensures longevity. Another thing that I see in great partners is the ability not to get into a lull. They've got to continue to innovate. They've got to continue to see what's around the corner and they have to stay ahead of the curve with a growth mindset. That, that for me, are the elements I see in great partners that succeed. And unfortunately, what I don't see in some partners who 
I haven't really kept up with that relevance in the marketplace today. So I love what you have to say here. First of all, growth mindset to me is fundamental to the success of any partnership. And coming at it, you know, Microsoft has embraced growth mindset, right, from Satya, and it's embodied in the organization. And then what you refer to, I refer to as agility, right? The organizations need to have almost like a listening mechanism, and they need to stay tuned into what Microsoft is doing. Or together, this communication needs to happen in a very fluid manner so that we know intuitively how we align better, continue to align better on a core set of objectives. And as they change, move along and do great work, continue to do great work together. Now, Vince, I agree. One of the critical things I want to stress here is, you know, the listening. I think it's bi-directional. You know, so we obviously have some intelligence to share, but we also appreciate that these partners have intelligence to share with us as well, given their proximity, you know, to the customer. But the important thing is that we integrate those and continue to ensure that together we are agile, uh, we are dexter, and again, we innovate by seeing what's coming ahead of the curve. Is there anything you do specifically to ensure that, that mechanism, that listening mechanism? I think it's, it, it all got, comes down to PDM understanding what their role is and us as a, as a, a partner organization understanding you know, what our role is. We are there to serve and listen to the partner. But we also have to be very transparent and deliver a strategy and objectives with clarity to the partners. And then we, the concept of having ROBs, you know, rhythm of the business connections, you know, with these partners on a frequent basis is critical. So important, so important. When you get that feedback, and then you need to ensure, we need to ensure as GPS that we give these partners the access they need to other leaders and other organizations within Microsoft that can help them stay innovative. So that, that's kind of where my team comes uh, into play and what they do. You know, I'm reminded of a conversation Brent Combest and I had probably about a year ago, and he's going to be back on the podcast, but he talked about his partner development managers almost being adjunct members of the board <laughs> of the partners that they work with. I, I, I seem to hear a theme here that seems very similar to me. Is that how you think about it as well? No, that, that's how we all think about it. Uh, it. First of all, you've got to be that adjunct board member that helps the partner see what's coming up around the corner, kind of help them think through what they want to be and how they need to continue to innovate towards that or evolve towards that over the next three years or so. The, the other new element that we've put into the mix here is that our PDMs also have to act as either uh, CROs or VPs of sales because it's one thing to have a plan and a vision and a plan. It's another thing to execute, right? And, and execution has become so critical in these days, the pace at which you have to execute with excellence, yes, you know, makes it even more challenging. But, but this is the other characteristic that we are trying to sort of ingrain into the DNA of a PDM. You said something very profound here, right? We put the plan together. Sometimes it goes and gets put on a shelf. And if I'm not executing on the plan, if I'm not 
providing maniacal focus to the plan. I'm not acting like a chief revenue officer whose job, in fact, depends on the fact that I hit the number every week and every month and every quarter, then I'm not going to be successful here. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> I can stress that factor. And by the way, I think that's a shift. I think that's a shift from when I left the organization about four or five years ago. So I do think that's an amazing and important shift. And I love what you have to say here. So let's, you know, this has been an I mean, a time like no other. I don't know how to describe it any further, right? We've used up every cliche about what these last 18 months have been like for many. And we've, li- we've lived through, uh, I'll call them seismic shifts, seven years of transformation in the last year, IDC says. I mean, I think we've seen things we didn't expect to see. What are you seeing now during this change that you didn't expect to see? Let me go at it from you know, two perspectives. The first one, is from the customer perspective. I've been quite surprised and uh, impressed by, you know, the sophistication of understanding of the customers in terms of what they need or what they've needed, you know, to survive uh, during these very dire times. And then the other thing is also the speed. And I, I use that word dexterity quite a bit that they've also cultivated in making sure that they incorporate any new element of the solution that helps their organizations not just survive, but thrive in this new work-from-home condition. And then think about it. When the pandemic started, everybody shifted to completely working from home. Then now that hopefully there's a light, a bright light at the end of the tunnel, these folks now have to shift to a hybrid or flexible uh, mode of work, which, uh, you know, as you know, brings its own set of challenges when people work from home and then they come back to the office or they share time in the office. I would say that the ability of the customer to respond to this was surprising to me. If you told me three years ago that this was going to be the case, I don't, I don't think I'd have believed you because if you recall, we've been sort of preaching this transformation thing for six years or so, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, this shift happens in a matter of months. And then when you come to the partner perspective, just that ability to accelerate their evolution or the evolution of their business model has been surprising to me and pleasantly so. A lot of these folks have moved from being monolithic transaction engines like we talked about earlier to, to really developing practices, you know, and developing managed services and um, having the ability to deploy flexibly. And what I mean by that is in the old world, uh, a partner had to like fly out to a customer's location, you know, to do that de- deployment and delivery. Now they've had to adjust and it, it's, it's also had positive impact on their P&L. So in those two situation. So the customer and the partner, I've been pleasantly surprised at how fast they've been able to adapt to, you know, the times at hand. I love the term dexterity, by the way, you mentioned it a few times here today. We had to all learn how to work remote. The partners were kicking and screaming six years ago to the cloud, right? Partners and customers. And it happened, it happened so effortlessly because we had to, it was necessitated that we had to cross that chasm. And I believe that, I think the pandemic got us across the chasm in terms of full transformation for organizations. No, I agree. And let me just, you know, give a shout out again to my partners here, because what, what seems effortless 
took a lot of work from them. And this, I hope you don't mind that I'm, I'm plugging in for my partners here. This DSM partners. Absolutely not. Go ahead. Listen, people have to pay attention because these aren't, you know, say the LSPs or the telcos or the distributors or the, or the MSPs of, um, of our grandparents. These, these partners now possess capabilities that people once did not think them of having, right? So, so very critical, and, and a lot of them are very specific, workload-specific. And um, we are working with them to put that industry precision. Now, when you think about their ability to integrate those two things I talked about, with their global scale that they've always had. You're now looking at a partner that can deliver for you. And what our technology, I talked about that comprehensive solution universe. What our technology also enables them to do is understand the customer's plan and deploy at the customer's pace. What I mean by that is that the customer does not have to chew off a huge bite all at once. You know, they can do it in a fashion that fits their budget and their operational plans. You know, you used a term that I haven't heard used before, industry precision. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, we talk about industry and some call it verticals and people think it's, it's a very complicated thing. All it is, is taking the solutions we have and putting it in a sensible way for a customer in a specific industry. So you think about a healthcare customer, an education customer, a customer who's in the manufacturing industry. All these industry packages or clouds, as we call them, I'm sure you, you listened to Inspire a few weeks ago. Yes, I did. For me, it's, it's about taking that industry-precise solution and coming to as close as you can to turnkey for the customer. There are no wasted motions. Well, this kind of leads into what the next question is. So I'm very interested. The whole notion of industry clouds implies that there are capabilities that may be outside the scope of your partners. And, you know, a key area of focus for your team has been this notion of partner to partner and working with other organizations and bringing those. And I know a lot of the organizations you work with also team up with other types of Microsoft partners, for instance, uh, independent software vendors. And so for our listeners, can you share why this area, partner to partner, is so important to the ultimate success of working with Microsoft and landing these discrete industry solutions? So let's go back to the customer again. The nature in which, you know, the customer buys today has changed. The decision maker within the customer is not one standard individual within within the IT department. Could be a BDM, it could be a line of business executive, um, a functional leader. They need their solutions fast. And I, I talked about the sophistication the customer has now in understanding what they need. And oftentimes the solutions are broad with different elements. No one partner has, or at all times, has the end-to-end solution. Even if they can piece it together, it takes a lot of time and may get messy. So Envision where you have an ISV who has that precision industry veneer and has maybe 70% of what you need to drive the solution in a given circumstance. And then you have a system integrator 
who may have the ability to now deploy with other elements that fill the solution and then service. And again, let's go back to the speed and streamline nature that the customer wants these solutions delivered. So, so it behooves our partners to work together from an, uh, you know, a P2P perspective to deliver rapidly and to deliver in a very, very um, tight, efficient and effective manner. That's the way I see P2P. And I'd be the first to tell you that my patch, GSS, we have some, some work to do in a more scaled fashion, employing you know, this partner-to-partner strategy. But that, that's a focus for us this fiscal year. We've got to make it happen because ultimately, it's best for the customer. And then it's also best for the partners in terms of rapidly addressing the customer's needs. I love what you have to say here. And I'm emphatic about partner to partner being a key ingredient to success and growth. So thank you again for making this a great week for Ultimate Guide to Partnering. This week, we rank consistently in Apple technology business news in the top 250. And in fact, we ranked as high as 88 this week, which is just incredible. And I'm so grateful for you. So let me read these shout outs and reviews in Apple. And we're going to provide links in our show notes if you'd like to leave a review. The first is from an industry friend and someone who's been a guest here on Ultimate Guide to Partnering, Mark Monday. Five-star content, the most important podcast in the tech ecosystem today. The industry has changed dramatically in the last three to five years, and Vince Menzione is tracking the light-speed shifts with this important podcast. Old naming conventions and taxonomies are being eviscerated by emerging models. The cloud is ubiquitous. Customers demand more and more. It's no longer enough for tech companies to sell to IT. It's all about meaningful customer business impacts. Vince brings great guests, innovative ideas, and compassion to the podcast each episode. I highly recommend this one. Mark, thank you so much. That is just, I'm humbled by those amazing words. Thank you so much for your support. And the second one from Robert Hansen's. Vince is amazing. Love this podcast so much. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Robert. And thank you to each of you for listening, following, liking, sharing, and being part of this community. I so appreciate you. So I'm going to shift gears here a moment, if you don't mind. You might know I'm fascinated with the personal and professional journey. And I'm a student of high performance and love for our listeners to learn more about you. Ah, Vince, this is, this is an area where I'm probably going to ramble and babble because um, I absolutely hate talking about myself. <laughs> you know, it's been a very gratifying journey. I started with Microsoft about 18 years ago as, um, as what we called a partner account uh, manager at that time in our embedded business. And um, as you know, I'm originally Nigerian, so at some point we came to this country. When did that happen, by the way? How many years have you been here in the U.S.? We, we came to the U.S. in, I believe this was in 82, 83. Well, that's quite, quite some time ago. Yes. Um, so I had the opportunity to integrate while I was young. And I would say just coming from very different circumstances, had the bliss of ignorance to 
you know, be able to integrate without any uh, mental drawbacks. How old were you at that time? I actually was a teen back in those days. So back in high school? Yes. Yes. But, um, you know, in terms of Microsoft, I started in the embedded group, as I mentioned, did a few years there. And then um, I worked with some very fantastic folks and ended up um, taking over the U.S., sales group as group manager. I then transitioned over to what used to be SMSMP, but is now GPS, did strategy for worldwide distribution, ended up taking over leadership of the worldwide distribution business. And um, I think I may have told you this, I ended up doing a stint in Europe as well for about four years. And um, I did that for uh, about four years and then came back to the US in the role that I was in, oh, sorry, that I'm in right now. One common thread that I've seen throughout my journey is, you know, just that propensity for working with partners. In every role I've had, they've all been partner-centric roles. And I've become quite fond of working with partners and I appreciate, you know, what you can do with partners if you have a good working relationship with them. And so, you know, you came over as a teenager, right, from Nigeria. And so maybe a little bit set different set of circumstances. I've had Lonnie on, I've had Rodney on, we've talked about their journey. This is still a very much a white male dominated industry. Was there anything in particular you felt you needed to overcome? Were there any barriers that you saw along the path? Yeah, Vince, this is, this is a complex one because, you know, I talked about the different circumstances that, um, that I came to the U.S. under. And what I actually mean by that is that I did not come over here from the same circumstances as an African-American in the U.S. would. We actually had a very fortunate, privileged upbringing. My parents were corporate people. And one of the sayings my dad would always tell us was, hey, you can't fail because of who you are and what your last name is. So failure is not an option. So, so that, that sort of was a mental thing that we grew up with. So when we came over here, we saw everything as a wonderful opportunity and a good, fun challenge to overcome. Yeah. Unfortunately, what does exist in the U.S. today? And I'll just be frank, what people may have seen as um, a hindrance based on discrimination. And that's that bliss of ignorance that I mentioned earlier. We didn't see it that way. You know, we saw it as just an obstacle to overcome. I think one of the very first things that we needed to do was integrate and be adaptable, right? But it's important to understand that the background, again, that we had was critical here because we, we, we didn't have that legacy that most African-Americans do have, which is very, very real, the things they have to overcome. So that, that's what I meant by the circumstances different for us. I'm really happy that the, com- the country has, you know, gotten to this level of awareness or to this point of awareness today. And the very complex conversations are being had today because in the past, we would try to avoid it. Because I, I believe that, you know, one of the most critical antidotes to this is knowledge and understanding. And it's knowledge and understanding of each group within the U.S. 
at a very nuanced level, right? Yes. I, I was just going to say that once you understand these groups and what they're made up of, then you can begin to look for allies, you know, to support each group. And there are people who are willing to do so. So that depth of understanding is really critical. And I think you brought up a really good point here. It's not one monolithic experience, right? Because you are Black doesn't mean that everyone has that same shared experience. I mean, you have a different set of experiences given your trajectory, where you came from and your experiences landing here in the United States. Doesn't mean that the others are, you're not uh, devaluing those uh, issues that have been raised over time and that we all need to become more aware of how do we solve for. No, it's, it's critical because if I take myself as an example, the difference between me and somebody who was born here is that, you know, from the, from the mental aspect of it and the psyche aspect of it, I had a very different experience. So again, my whole mindset was, hey, this is only a challenge that I have to overcome. Now you shift to the person who was born over here and their ancestry going back 400 years is within the U.S., their experiences and their inherited legacies, very different. And, and they see life differently and, and very legitimately so. Uh, and, and they have issues that, that we need to, you know, collectively help address. I love what you have to share here. I want to know more, though, about was there a spark? Was there something that set you off on your path to success? I, 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 I sense that this was instilled at a very young age. And when you got here, you were excited for the journey. But was there a spark or something that got you off and got you to become the GM of Microsoft? I want to make sure that I answer this question very precisely for you. And if I don't, let me know. I used to you know, wake up with my dad very early in the morning while he shaved and got ready for work. And he worked for uh, Mobile Oil, which is now Exxon. So he would shave and get ready and put on his suit and his tie. And he'll talk to me about things that had happened the day before at work. And um, would, of course, go visit him at work sometimes to have lunch. And I saw his wonderful big office that was in a high rise that oversaw a city. And I thought to myself, this, this is what I want to do. <laughs> now, now, the part of it that I didn't see was a tough part behind the scenes. I just saw the, the, that glamorous, what I thought was glamorous aspect of, uh, of what he did. And that's, that's when I thought to myself, I want to be in the corporate world. So that, that you could really say was a spark. Was there any best piece of advice that he gave you along the way? Yeah. My, my father was um, a very, very uh, principled individual. It was about being yourself and taking your values wherever you went and not compromising your values in any situation at all. And the values that um, I live by, one, for me, first and foremost, is integrity. People have to be able to depend on you and you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror. And the, the second thing, you know, for me is dedication. You know, nothing is ever handed to you, nor should it be. You don't have one head more than the next person. So you've 
got to go work for it. The third one is dignity. And, and you know, this is, this is really where you can speak to folks who've actually worked with me or worked for me. Um, no matter what the situation is, I'm going to treat every individual in a dignified fashion. Wow. I love what you have to say here. Michael Gervais has been on this podcast. A lot of us have been through Michael Gervais training uh, that talk about personal philosophy. Do these three values show up for you in your personal philosophy that you carry forward? They do. They do. And um, they're, for me, they're uncomp- uncompromising. And I don't mean that you're rigid as an individual, but they have to underline everything you do. No, I was just going to say that, you know, oftentimes when you are in pressured situations, it tests who you are and it really tests if you're going to bring those values, you know, forth in what you do. And, and for me, there is no compromise. This is who I am. This is how I'm always going to show up. You know, Michael talks about that, right? The harsh environments, the stress that enters the room and yours are integrity, dedication and dignity, which I think are really sad. I mean, like they hit me in the gut, right? This is really. And so how do you, how do you keep them? Like, how do you keep from coming off track on each of these? Like, is there something you do mentally or physically to prepare for that? We haven't met in person, but uh, I'm a big fitness fanatic. And um, one of the reasons why I'm that way is, you know, fitness is one area where you you get out what you put in, right? You're not going to BS your way through the results you're going to get. And it also helps fortify, you know, what I'm all about and what I'm going to do. It sort of helps slow down the situation for me when things are stressful. And once you can slow down the situation when things are stressful, you're able to deliberately go back to those values that you can't compromise. And what do you do for your fitness routine? So I wake up every morning, uh, anywhere between 4.15 and uh, 4.30 in the morning. I, um, I have a, a gym in my home that was improvised due to COVID. <laughs> and I have, um, you know, a regular routine of um, uh, cardiovascular and uh, weightlifting exercises. Nice. We haven't met in person, but I, I follow a similar routine. But that's very cool. Yeah. It it actually helped quite a bit in the you know during the uh, pandemic, and and what I tell people is, hey, didn't change my routine, <laughs> just because I wasn't going into the office. You know, I do my thing in the morning. I'll go get dressed. Of course, in this case, I was a little dressed down because I wasn't going to a public place, <laughs> and then I walked into an office and I began work, and it just sort of set the mindset for you that you're now shifting away from that mode where you were relaxing into that mode where you've got to give, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours of dedication to what you're doing. I love what you have to say here. I love your philosophy and approach. And I'm going to have a little fun here. (laughs) I hope you don't mind. So this is actually a favorite question of mine. You have the opportunity to host a dinner party and you can invite any people, three people, in fact, from the past or the present as guests to this fabulous dinner party. We're hopefully now fully unmasked and we're beyond everything we've experienced these last 18 months. Who would you invite to this fabulous dinner party and why? <sighs> yes, I, I think I listened to a couple of your podcasts. <laughs> 
Were you generously, you know, allowed the table to get bigger? <laughs> a li- I'll, sometimes I'll allow it to get a little bit bigger. Of course, I have. I also like like to come by once in a while too. So make sure there's a seat for me. Okay. I mean, you're you're the facilitator of the dinner, so you're going to be there by default. (laughs) (laughs) I love that thought. But hey, I'm going to ask that, you know, one slot can actually cover two people. (laughs) Okay. Sounds good to me. So my my first slot definitely would be my parents. Um, The the other thing I I don't think you know about is uh, my parents passed away uh, within a span of four years apart from each other when we were teenagers. Oh, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, just the values that my father instilled in us, um, I think carries us through today. He was, you know, the tough, at least he thought he was, <laughs> the tough corporate individual. But my mom was the one who really had the quiet strength that we never wanted to disappoint. And she was the ultimate strategist. So anytime we had problems, we'd take it to her. And she'll decipher and also give us a roadmap for the future. They sound like an incredible team together. I do a wonderful team. So so definitely they'll get one seat. I was going to say my entire family, but I can do this with them any other time. So the second seat that this is probably going to be funny to you would go to Socrates Oliveira. Really? He's not some philosopher. He's, uh, he was um, one of the best Brazilian strikers. Ah, he was known as simply Socrates. Socrates. I knew Pele, but I didn't know Socrates. Yeah, Pele was great. But for me, Socrates was my favorite. And, you know, just the way he improvised on the field. Um, He had this high, high IQ on the field that that's actually when I started thinking that, you know, sports or understanding that sports was just not about that brunt. You know, that intellectual aspect was critical. Of course, Socrates was um, a physician in real life, but um, he was on the Brazilian national team for a while. And was, did you follow Brazil? Was that your team? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, so Nigeria, soccer is huge in Nigeria. Yeah, I would imagine. But it, it, the joke that we had in Nigeria was when a, a boy was born, he would get a Brazilian national team jersey first. <laughs> <laughs> before Nigeria national jersey. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, so he was he was big for us. And then the, the third person I would invite, and bear with me because this, this one has a long story behind it. Uh, you and I were just talking about my niece uh, earlier. Yes. So the, the first one who plays for the LA Sparks and is a president of um, the Players Association. So the other angle to this story is that in a, uh, sorry, inexplicably, she was dropped from the U.S. Olympic team right before the Olympics started. Yeah, I'm sure there are good reasons, but she ends up being that she's, a, she's the only uh, league MVP and finals MVP that's never been to the Olympics. Long story short, she's somebody who has all the um, boxes checked from an off-the-court perspective and also on the court, but no one really understood what you know, was behind this decision. So here I was thinking that she was going to be devastated when this whole thing happened. Um, so I gave her a call and said, hey, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? How are you going to handle this? He said, uncle. Uh, she said, uncle, I'm going to take the high road as always. I said, well, what does that mean? What are you doing right now? 
She said, well, my, my team's about to go play. This is the LA Sparks. My team's about to go play Washington, D.C. And my main focus is to help my team beat Washington, D.C. And then think about the next game and think about the season. She's never mentioned anything about this in public or griped about it. You know, she simply moved past it and is focusing, you know, on the task at hand. So she's one of the most consummate disciplined and focused professionals I've ever come across. And I draw a lot of from her. She sounds it. And give us her name. And we're going to make sure we put a link to her in our show notes. Her name is Neka Ogumike. And it's spelled N-N-E-K-A. And the last name is spelled O-G-W-U-M-I-K. Nice. Nice. We are going to provide a link to her in our show notes. She is an amazing athlete and person, and I'm glad you spotlighted her here. Absolutely. So, Agua, I am really thankful for your generosity today, but also for like a really meaningful conversation, which I really enjoyed. I, I really want to thank you for being a guest here on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Thank you, Vince. It was a pleasure. And um, again, I do appreciate the opportunity to get some of these words out to um our partners, who we treasure very much from a Microsoft perspective. I think every one of them should, should really understand this and believe it. And we're in it to ensure that, you know, they're successful and that actually when they're successful is a true token of our appreciation uh, for us. Thank you again for joining. Thank you for sharing your time and for being a bright light to some of these partners. I appreciate it, Vince. You stay well. Thank you. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at Vince M at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.